breath. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a Daily Power Parsha, Monday, March 28th, 2022, which means, since it's Monday, that we're starting a brand new Parsha. And as the kids would say, the Parsha of the week is, and then we, we enter the name of the Parsha of the week, right? Parsha of the week is Tazria, 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 and Tazria talks about purity and impurity a theme that follows from the end of last week's Torah portion. The commentaries point out something interesting, and you'll recall this because, you know, from last week's Torah portion, we talked about kosher animals and non-kosher animals, kosher fish, non-kosher fish, kosher birds, non-kosher birds. We talked about creepy, crawly things that aren't kosher. And then the Torah talked about the impurity. Like if a dead animal... If you know, an, a non-kosher dead animal touches the inside of a metal vessel, then the metal vessel is impure, etc. So it got, it got it very intri- well, semi, somewhat intricately involved in the laws of purity and impurity with regards to food, animals, birds, fish, that sort of thing. And so now, this week, the Torah talks about impurities with regard to the human being. In other words, human Tuma and Tara, human impurity and impurity. And as the commentaries point out, it follows the order of creation. Just like animals were created before human beings, the discussion of purity and impurity is discussed first with regards to the animals and only then this week with the human beings. So a little bit of a, of a message in the juxtaposition. Let's begin. I'm going to share my screen. And let's jump into the parsha. Tazria Torah reading. We're going to begin with reading number one, and it starts with the laws of childbirth, which is makes sense. You know, life begins with birth, and um, you know, all of us that are listening, that are learning, <laughs> we were all born. Otherwise, how'd you get here? I, w- I would argue, right? Can't, can't can't have gotten here without being born. And so here, the Torah talks about the status of birth and purity and impurity surrounding the experience of conception and birth. Here we go. Leviticus chapter 12, verse number 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, and of course, just to reiterate, that line means that God told this to Moses, saying, meaning to tell the people the following. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, if a woman conceives and gives birth to a male, she shall be unclean, now, unclean doesn't mean physical. Just I, And I really don't like this translation, unclean, because unclean has a literal connotation. Unclean in Hebrew is vitama, which is impure. Impure is not unclean. Impure is a spiritual impurity. It's not a physical thing. So she shall be unclean or impure, spiritually impure, for seven days. As, the day, as in the days of her menstrual flow, she shall be unclean. Let's continue. The Torah tells us, switching away from the narrative about the mother to the narrative about the child for a moment. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin, the baby's foreskin, shall be circumcised. I was actually just at a bris yesterday. Interestingly enough, the Torah tells us that on the eighth day of the child's birth, uh, after a child is born, uh, after a son is born, that is the time to circumcise this little baby boy. Then we switch back to the mom. And for 33 days, she shall remain in the, blood of her pure, uh, in the blood of purity. She shall not touch anything holy, 
nor, she, nor may she enter the sanctuary until the days of her purification have been completed. So in other words, there are seven days and 33 days, but either way, she remains in a state of impurity until that time period has elapsed. Now that's all with regards to giving birth to a baby boy. What if she gives birth to a girl? And if she gives birth, verse 5, if she gives birth to a female, she shall be unclean for two weeks, like her menstruation period, and for 66 days she shall remain in the blood of purity. So essentially, for a boy it's 7 plus 33, which is 40, and for a girl it's 14 plus 66 for a grand total of 80. Double the amount of time for the, for the impurity. And again, this is only relevant, just to be clear here, this is not relevant today. This is relevant in ancient times when the state of purity and impurity was relevant vis-a-vis entering the temple or eating of the sacrifices, etc. One had to be in a state of purity. And this now is, this is very relevant to know when she can become in a state of purification after giving birth. The Torah then talks about the ritual of the purification ritual. And when the days of purification have been completed, in other words, after the 33 days with a boy or 66 days with a girl, whether for a son or for a daughter, whatever that time period is, after that period has passed, she shall bring a sheep in its first year as a burnt offering and a young dove or, or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the entrance of the tent of meeting to the Kohen. So she brings these animals, actually an animal and a bird, she brings it to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And of course, if you can picture it, there's the, the large um, Mishkan area, the courtyard area under the sky. Toward the western side of the Mishkan, there is a covered building, a relatively small co- covered building. She brings the animals, or the animal and the bird, right, right outside that building. And she brings it to the Kohen. And he, the Torah says, he shall offer it up before the Lord and effect atonement for her. And thus, she will be purified from the source of her blood. This is the law of a woman who gives birth to a male or to a female. The Torah says, and if she cannot afford a sheep, right? Man, who, who thought that uh, having kids would be so, so expensive, right? So now she has, to, she has a baby, now she has to bring a sheep and a bird. However, she can't afford a sheep. The Torah says she shall take two turtle doves or two young doves. Instead of a sheep and a, and a bird, take two of them. Two, two doves or two, two turtle doves or two doves. One is a burnt offering and one is a sin offering. And the Kohen shall effect atonement for her and she shall become clean. That is the ritual. Now, this little section of the Torah, the opening section of our Torah portion, certainly, without question, raises more questions than when we started. I mean, this, this certainly raises a whole host of questions, um, including but not um, exclusive to. So one second. So she gives birth to a child and that makes her unclean or impure. Why? What does that even mean? Why is she rendered impure? Impure usually is associated with death, not life. You come in contact with a dead, right? Come in contact with a dead carcass of an animal that's, uh, that's not kosher. So then it renders a certain pure impurity for a certain amount of time. Okay. So, so is there not a vegetarian option in all of this? As far as bringing like a meal offering only? Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there is not. Certain offerings have that third option or a fourth option or whatever it is. This one doesn't. It's just the sheep 
um, sheep slash goat or, um, uh, sorry, let me try this again. It's either the sheep, not a goat, sheep plus dove or turtle dove or two turtle doves, right? Yeah, there's no, there's no vegetarian option, so to speak. Yeah, no vegan option for this, uh, for this offering. But, but the real, the, the question here is why is she rendered impure having a child? Like what, what does that even mean? What, what's, what's going on here? So I want to share with you something that I shared certainly last year, something that is, um, something that is a, a, a core understanding when it comes to uh, the Jewish idea of, of purity and impurity. And that is that, as I mentioned just a moment ago in the question, it's always associated with an absence or interruption of life. You see, what does purity and impurity mean? What does it mean to be tahar or tameh? So it's all about alignment and plug, being plugged into the source of life. As we know, Judaism believes that God is the source of life, not just once upon a time, but constantly the source of life. Any disruption to that right, renders one in a state of impurity. We spoke in last Wednesday's class about the, uh, the spiritual meaning of the red heifer. We said every sin is like a death, and therefore falling sin, tshuva, is like the red heifer. So we spoke along those lines. But in, in today's conversation, purity and impurity is basically the difference between life and a disruption to life. So anything that is no longer living renders the one who comes in contact with it impure. But now the question is even stronger. So what's with childbirth? The commentaries say, and this is a little bit of, a, of, a, of an interesting concept, that childbirth, think about it, a mother is carrying life inside of her, and then she births that child, please God, in a healthy fashion, right? Now that child it, it lives and exists outside of her. Now, the child, please God, the child is healthy, and, and, and everything's great. But for her, she lost a life that was within her. And again, I understand that that life is now living outside of her, please God. But vis-a-vis her own body, there was life being carried, and now she's no longer carrying that life. That itself constitutes a disruption or an absence to life or to some part of life inside of her and renders her in a state of impurity for a certain amount of time. So again, purity and impurity is a highly sensitive um, uh, measure. You know, like uh, earthquake is, what is that, a counter? uh, uh, What is it? Geiger, Geiger Geiger counter, whatever it's called. Something like that. Whatever. So it's like some sort of... um, Seismometer. Seismometer, right. It's a highly sensitive, highly sensitive needle that responds to any disruption on any level to life. And if there's a disruption, it goes off. And so childbirth is a disruption. Why? Because she's, she's for lack of better terminology, she's growing, developing, building this life inside of her, additional life inside of her, and now it's birthed out. Please God, in a healthy way. But that means that within her, the life is no longer, is no longer there. That disruption sets off the counter, sets off that, that life, sensi- that sensitive life meter. And now it renders her impure. And now there's a ritual. 
every time in the ancient times, there's a ritual. You have to wait a certain amount of days, and then you have to do a certain protocol, and then impurity. And what it does is it sensitizes us, without getting into details, I don't know if I can explain 33 versus, you know, the, the, the exact span of days, although I have an insight on 33 versus 66. But without getting into the, to the, to all of the details, because ultimately these are divine decrees that some element will remain outside of our understanding. The point for us is to sensitize us, even if we don't practice it exactly like this today, to sensitize us to life, to heighten our appreciation and sensitivity for life. And, and let me frame it along these terms. We live in a world, we live in a culture that very often glorifies death. What do I mean by glorifies death? We live in a culture in which death symbols are used oftentimes as decor, especially certain times of year, right? Certain times of year, death symbols become decorations to pick up at the party store, right? Rip and skeletons and, uh, and, and, and grave sites and bones and everything. It's kind of like, it's almost like a, a look, there were ancient cultures that literally um, glorified death, like the ancient Egyptians at the times of the Exodus when the Jews were living, right? They glorified death. Death was something, they mummified the bodies, they preserved the bodies. It was all about like preserving almost that lifelessness, beautifying death. Whereas in Judaism, death is not beautified. Death is acknowledged and it's mourned, uh, the loss is mourned and it's respected, and, but it's not beautified. That's why, for example, in Judaism, we don't have this notion of, let's say, an open casket or a viewing and that sort of thing. We don't dress up the deceased. It's simple white shrouds and laying the person to rest. So it, we, Judaism, I think, strikes an interesting balance not between, you know, it's not being ignored, but it's also not being beautified. It's being acknowledged in a very simple, um, realistic way. And, and, and it's almost like this approach heightens us to the... Um, to, the, uh, to be sensitive to life and to glorify life. So Judaism really glorifies life, acknowledges and respects the experience of death, and, and, and there's a lot about that, certainly, but the, but the beautification and the glorification is always about life. So that's why Judaism never produced a movement of seeking martyrdom, right? seeking to be a martyr. There's no glory in a kamikaze. It's, it's just a different type of society. Judaism is not about seeking death. It's not a death-seeking society or movement. It's all about life. That's why when it comes to Torah and mitzvot, as, you all, as everyone here knows, you suspend a mitzvah to save a life, right? You, don't, you break the mitzvah to save a life with very, very rare exceptions. And only like extreme exceptions do you not violate a mitzvah. Otherwise, the Torah says, Live with the Torah. Live with the mitzvot. If it's going to take a life, then don't do it. Don't do it. There I am in Brooklyn, New York, in the heart of Crown Heights. Let's mention now Shabbat in the Heights. Join us. May 13th through 15th, the weekend in, in New York. Spend uh, Shabbos together with Leah and I, myself and Leah, and, and, and uh, I'm not sure about the family. But, but, but let's get back. So there I am. This would have been almost 18 years ago. And I'm in Crown Heights. 
the heart of Chabad headquarters. And I've just finished a Shabbos meal along with my, my bride, my, uh, my, my fairly newlywed wife. Fairly newlywed, right? And we're after the meal and Leah's uh, you know, sitting in a comfortable chair and she says, I think it's time. And I say, huh, okay. Well, then let me get the phone because this was Friday night. It was Shabbat already. And we had a Shabbos meal. But she was in labor and she was like, it's, it's, it's go time. It's go time. And I'm like, okay, I guess I pick up the phone now, right? Shabbos. Okay. Let's see what, let's see if the phones work on Shabbos. And, and they did. And they did. I picked up the phone and I called the car service. Remember that? This is well before Uber. This was not, this was not 19. This was, I'm 18. No, this was 2004. May 14th, 2004. Yeah, almost 18 years ago. I pick up the phone and I called the car service and they said, we have no cars available. So I'm like, oh, great. I got to make another phone call. So I hung up the phone. I called another car service. And finally, we got a car that whisked us away, just the two of us, to Brooklyn Methodist Hospital in Park Slope. Um, a short drive from Cranites. That's where um, Leia's midwife, uh, group was working out of out of the hospital so it was like a, kind of like a midwife touch with a hospital setting nice combo for us um, and we had already pre we, we'd already like checked everything out but you pick up the phone you get into a car you pay the driver yeah you don't stiff the driver you pay the pay the driver money on Shabbos money transactions are happening and then you get there then you get to the hospital and you got to go to the third floor, second floor, for whatever it was. I don't know. Who, who can remember? And you know what? You get into an elevator. And I was told that I'm allowed to ride with her in the elevator. Why? I mean, it's not my... But if that's going to make her feel more comfortable, right? If that's going to put her at more at ease, then you get into that elevator also, right? You don't have to take the stairs. You get into that elevator, right? If she needs it. Assuming that... She, and the assumption is that, yes, it would be helpful. Got into that elevator, and the rest is history. Nassen, sorry, Moshe Nassen, that's his full name, was born Shabbos morning at like, Leah would know the exact time. I should, but I don't remember. Like 5.40 or maybe 6.40 a.m., something, you know, Shabbos morning. May 15, 2004. That's when he was, that's when he was born. That was almost 18 years ago, which means he's almost... Can you believe he's almost 18? I actually can't because I still look at myself as just a little bit over 18. Just a, a few years removed from 18. It's kind of crazy. But it's uh, the reason why I'm telling this story is, well, number one, it's a story that's, uh, you know, dear to my heart. But really, not, oh, and then the next day, I went to Shul that morning. I asked, I mean, I asked Leah, is she okay? She's like, yeah, totally. They go to Shul. Um, you know, say the blessing for healing, you know, for Mishaberach and everything. For So I, I walked, there was, a, there was a Chabad shul in uh, Park Slope, right? Like a few blocks away. So I went to the synagogue and man, I was the happiest guy in the world. I was beaming. You couldn't, like, I'm like, do you want to, guys, you want to ask why I'm so happy? And I was like, what happened? Like, my wife had a baby, uh, had a baby boy. And everyone's like, Mazda, And I'm like, yeah, it's really, anyway, it's, I don't know. I felt like it was the first person ever to have a child. But it was, uh, it, was, it was a wonderful joy. 
But here's the point. Here's the point. The reason why I'm saying this is simply this, that um, you break Shabbos. I don't know you break Shabbos. You suspend Shabbos to save a life. A doctor is allowed to have a phone on, allowed to take calls, allowed to, you're saving lives. That's it. You're saving lives. Hatzalah. I don't know if you know what Hatzalah is. Hatzalah is the, um, the Jewish volunteer ambulance service that they have in, um, in some many Jewish communities that are large enough to support it. And they, they live in the community and they service the community and it's like instant response, especially in New York where you might wait a little bit. It's very, very helpful to have Hatzalah at the ready. These guys are well-trained and integrated with the hospitals and everything and they, they, they get things done. Um, and the woman one that you had, we had the talk. About. I was just going to mention that, and and as we rem- we recall, right, the Ruchi Fryer, the Honorable Judge Ruchi Fryer. So she started the women's one, which the, the some of the guys were not happy about, because you know, hashtag ego and such. But you know, whatever it is, they worked it out or didn't work it out. But it's happening anyway. But the point is that um, these guys on Shabbos in Shul. You'll hear the radio. They're, they're wearing it. They're not hiding it. They're wearing it. Because to save a life, to save a life, you suspend Shabbos. And you keep on there, you know, you, you take the call and you talk back and forth, even if you don't know if it's life or death yet. Right? You don't know how, how serious it is, how dangerous it is. But you got to do something even just in case. That's the level of, of suspension. The point here is, really, the reason why I'm saying all this is that Judaism is all about preserving life. It's all about life. Protecting, upholding, preserving, keeping, sustaining, celebrating life. Judaism is obsessed with life. Not death. Obsessed with life. Respects death. Honors death, etc. But, but is obsessed and celebrates life. And so any disruption to life is cause for pause and notice. Taking, taking, uh, pausing and taking note, and, and, and there's a ritual. And so in our, in our tradition, even something as celebratory as childbirth renders the mother at that great state of joy in a state of impurity. That's not a sad state. Impurity doesn't mean like, oh, ooh, oh, oh, that's really sad. No, it just means simply that we're acknowledging that there was an additional life that is no longer there, and thus... That does something. That's not nothing. That's something. Is so, it the same if you miscarry, God forbid? Yeah. Yeah, it would be the same. It would be the same. And this explains why the, the birth of a, of a son is 33 days, but the birth of a, of a daughter or a girl is 66 days. Why is it double? So it's interesting. I once saw this commentary. I love this commentary. Because a girl also has the potential, again, conceptually, potentially, to give birth. So if the mother's carrying a girl, she has, not, not only is the mother carrying life, but carrying life that can also carry life. You with me on this? So it's double. Yeah, I understand that it takes two to tango and you also need the male contribution, so to speak, but that's not carrying life. <laughs> that... I would just be very honest here. Human species would quickly dry up if guys had to go through that. You know, that's 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 just the way that is. Um, but you know, the idea of uh, of of carrying a, a a girl 
right, of being pregnant with a, with a girl, with a, uh, yeah, is that you're not only, the mother's not only carrying life, but carrying life that also is carrying, not carrying literally, but potential of another life. Hence the double amount of time. Um, and, and, you know, I was going to say double loss, but God, you know, we're not talking about loss. Not, I don't want to get things confused, but it's still a, a, a not displacement, maybe displacement, it's still a movement. Life it's a separation. Has, it's a separation. Perfect. It's a separation. Life has been moved out. And that means something. And in Judaism, in the Torah, that means what, what, what we read, um, you know, a, a measure of impurity. And so one thing to be very, you know, to be very aware of is that impurity does not imply something bad, something less than, something ugly. On the contrary, are you kidding me? It's the greatest celebration. The greatest celebration. Birth? Oh. So we throw parties, yeah, bris, na- baby namings for girls, whatever. We, we throw parties. It's a celebration. You know, it's, it's a wonderful. We sing mazel tov, simmen tov, mazel tov. It's, it's, it's a joy. And also for the mother. It's not, not a joy. But there's a state of impurity. Um, just, just maybe to make it also uh, some, pra- uh, some practical applications um, of purity and impurity is that we note we, we know life we're so sensitive to life that even when we cut our nails, it renders us in a state of mini impurity. Even to this very day, when we cut our fingernails or toenails, what's happening is a separation of life. Think about it, right? This was growing, it was part of our body, right? It was growing and we cut it off. Whether it's nails or hair, but we cut it off. So that renders a person in a state of, of impurity. Now that's a very small state of impurity because it's not like a lot of life. It's 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 very, you know, we can cut it because it's very desensitized. So it's not a highly, you know, when a person, when a mother is carrying a ba- a life inside of her, that's a that's a lot of life that's now been separated out. When you cut a fingernail, it's that's it's it feels dead. You don't feel it, right? So so all you need to do is wash the hands, the ritual hand washing. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, right? A few times, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, three times. And, that's, uh, and, the, and, and that lifts that. So, and just so you know, every time we cut our nails, cut our hair, or even bath or shower, after that it's appropriate to also wash. That also renders this one in a state of impurity, many impurity. I don't know, I, you know, I wonder why when bathing or showering, maybe it's because skin, Maybe skin is coming off as we kind of scrub or whatever it is, right? Maybe this is the Torah's way of telling us to exfoliate. I don't know. I'm kidding. But like maybe it's something, you know, something along those lines that then also triggers that. But that's the tradition, you know, times. Obviously, we do it in the morning. Every morning when we wake up, we do it like ideally by the bed, but also later on with the blessing in the morning. And then we do it every time we cut our nails, cut our hair, and also shower or bathe. Okay. Now I saw in the comments... So Sarah asked a good question, which is, are we supposed to bury them? The answer is yes. Um, when it comes to nails, so there's a very interesting Jewish tradition. I don't know if you would call it superstition or tradition, but it basically says that um, nails on the cutting nails and allowing them to fall on the floor where somebody could step on it is actually dangerous. Not physically dangerous. I don't know if anybody ever said, oh, I tripped on a fingernail. I don't think that's a thing. Or like, ow, what's that sharp thing in my foot? I mean, that, all of those are distinct possibilities, but I don't think that's what it means. It really means more of a spiritual um, 
it's like negative uh, spiritual energy to have the, the nails um, stepped on. So therefore, the ideal is to kind of get rid of them. One way to do that is by burning them or by burying them or by otherwise maybe flushing them down the toilet or whatever it is, like, but just get, getting, getting rid of them. Um, they're not necessarily holy to the point that it requires burial. Um, like we would say, obviously, like a body or even, you know, like not even, but also like a, a, a Jewish book, a holy book needs to be buried and laid to rest like that. Um, you know, a nail or a hair doesn't need to be laid to rest like the, like the body, but it does need to be, um, a nail certainly need to be um, eliminated from circulation, so to speak, so it doesn't harm. It says that the chassidim, the Talmud says, I think he used the word chassidim. Pious, you know, not necessarily like we would use the term today, but like pious individuals would burn their nails. I can't say I burn them on the regular. I usually just like flush them down the toilet, that sort of thing, or like just get rid of them otherwise. But yeah. Um, Is okay. there some reason you just can't put them in the garbage on a paper towel? Uh, you could. But I guess the concern is maybe they're going to get back somehow into circulation. You know, maybe they'll fall out or whatever it is. I, who, I, I'm just, maybe I don't know. But yeah, it's it's really just making sure that they're that they're not in a not in a place that's uh, accessible or available. But these are just that's another example of something that renders a person, of course, in a mini state of impurity. That's very practical today. Um, yeah. Basically, any time you'll encounter the terms pure and impure in Torah and Judaism, it's always about life. It's always about life. I mean, um, you know, for women, for men, it's always about some sort of, you know, separation or something regarding life. And of course, the big one is encountering straight up, uh, you know, death, you know, human body. Which happens, and 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 um, you know, one one modern form of that is walking into a hospital. The assumption is, when walking into a hospital, that there's somebody who's not alive in the hospital, and you're under the same roof, and that renders one in the most severe status of impurity. That's why we assume today that everyone's in the status of impurity. But we don't need to get out of that state of impurity um, because we don't have a we don't have a, um, a temple. So we'll all need a red heifer someday when Mashiach comes, but not, you know, for right now, we don't, we, we, don't, we don't have that need. There are certain impurities that we do need to get rid of today um, because it stands in the way of other things. And that's why mikvah, and that's why we have, you know, hand washing and that sort of thing. So there, there is water-based purities that are done to this very day, but some of them are not relevant because there's no temple. Um, Troy, did you want to um, ask something? Um, back to an earlier comment about the, um, what is it, seven days and then 33 days, yeah. it's 40 days, and yes. then for a female, it's 80 days. There's a lot of 40 days There's a lot all of over the days. place. There's a lot of 40 days. 40 really is associated with birth, with life, because 40, so interesting, 40 is associated with, um, um, you know, Moses was on the mountain getting the Torah for 40 days and 40 nights and then the golden calf. But 40 is kind of like birth or like rebirth or something. The flood was on the, was on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, 
it says that that um, when it comes when it comes to physical conception um, and procreation, so gender is not determined and other things are not determined until about forty days, which matches up scientifically with when the cells begin. My understanding when the cells begin to differentiate in gender, the Talmud says that at up until seven weeks. Is it seven weeks or six weeks? No, no, sorry. It doesn't say six or seven weeks. It's 40 days. Up until 40 days, one is allowed to pray for a gender. But after that, you're praying for nothing. <laughs> it's not going to change, right? One can pray. I want a boy. I want a girl. Up to the first 40 days. But after that, it's a bracha levatala. It's a prayer for nothing because it's, it's already set. That ship has sailed. But it's interesting, I've looked it up, that science, and some of you may know this, and certainly Dr. Maxi, right? But like, literally, biologically, up until, you know, those first 40 days or so, it's wide open as far as, you know, what, what those cells look like and whatever. It's very much um, open-ended. That's my basic understanding based on Google or um, <laughs> Google MD. Whatever that is. Um, okay. So yeah, 40 is very significant. 40 is kind of like that, that, you know, that incubation stage, right? So we're like incubating a state of purity for the mother. And then it's double that, double incubation period. I don't know if I like that word incubation, whatever. But it's like that double experience giving birth to a girl. None of this is bad. That's why impurity equals unclean equals bad is not the Jewish understanding. That's not what Torah means. It's not like, oh, impure, unclean, bad. That's not, that's, that we may, that may be what we think, but that's not what this is. This is all good stuff. There's nothing. So help me understand, in that time, was she not allowed to go to the temple and participate? I mean, that's what it Correct. sounds like. Correct. Yes. Correct. She was in a state so of impurity, you are temporarily right? Temporarily separated from corporate service to Hashem. Yeah, and maybe the message there is, you know, the at home, the at home connection is what needs to be cultivated, and maybe you know, and with, maybe that's the service you're supposed to be performing at that moment. And, and anyway, with a child, exactly, okay. exactly, okay. and 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 that's I think a good insight that's coming up from from your question. I think your question kind of points to a direction. That makes sense. And I, I can't say that's the only rationale, that's the only angle on it, but I think your question highlights a, uh, a, a, a really beautiful thing, right? It's not going to corp, it's not going to out there service, it's, and maybe that's the message, creating that home environment, right? You have a, you have a little child now, you're gonna be creating this house, this home now needs to become a temple. And so, so focus. we also don't have set times for prayer because we're already serving Hashem when we're raising our children. Getting up at 3 a.m., yeah, is no less. <laughs> Dear God, why am I getting No, whatever. It's no less of a prayer, right? Or service, an act of service, than ritualized service. One could argue it's more of a service. It's more of a service, right? Taking care of God's kids. There was once a parent. There was once a parent who was, he felt he was struggling, a dad who was struggling with, um, you know, a little bit of anger outburst to his kids. 
He was struggling with the, with the temper to his kids. So he went to the Rebbe for him. And I know who this is because he told the story about himself. I'm not going to share the name, even though it's a public story, but it's not relevant. So he went to the Rebbe for advice. You know, what do I do about my... I, I recognize it's a problem. Like, what should I do? Rebbe gave him a meditation, very interesting meditation. He said, imagine this was somebody else's kid. <laughs> would you shout at them? Would you use, you know, physical, you know, whatever it is, you know, would you... You wouldn't. So these are, these are Hashem's kids. These are God's kids. You've been entrusted for, you know, whatever it is amount of time to like, you know, to, to raise them to the point that they're, you know, ready to go. And, and of course, parenting never ends, whatever. But, you know, you've been entrusted. These are God's children that take residence in your house, right? Think about it that way. And that can be a, a, a paradigm shift. Like, it's not my kids. These are God's kids that have been entrusted to me. A bit of a different take on this. And that can, you know, maybe now we think twice about what we say, what we do, etc. That's a powerful perspective on this. And I think it also pertains to what we're saying. Waking up at 3 a.m. to feed the baby is feeding God's child. And that's a beautiful thing. That's, that's a beautiful act of service. That's a selfless act of service. And a form of prayer and meditation as well, right? That is something beautiful and profound. So, so, and and that's maybe what comes up here, you know, from this discussion. That's a beautiful statement. That's a beautiful statement the Torah is making. You don't have to see God in the temple in Jerusalem, right? Now you can find God or create that space, create that mishkan in your own home, right? We don't need to find that. It's not like my home is, my, is a house, and but 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 the the temple. The synagogue, the space is there. No, that was also the, one of the messages of COVID, right? At least, you know, in the early stages when we were like positive messages, right? It was like, oh, we can find God at home and we can experience God at home and, and, and prayer at home. And there's no synagogue and it's just all at home. Torah study and prayer and good deeds and charity and everything is all like based out of the house, which it always is. But that kind of like enhances it. And so the message is no. You don't need to go to the temple, and you, you can't even go, if, even if you wanted to. Now is not the time to go outside. It's time to cultivate and nurture within. Um, okay, so that is the opening little bit. Let's go back inside, and let's continue the reading. We're up to chapter 13. Oh, look at this. It's really a somewhat new topic. Now we talk about Sarat. Okay, hold on. I know I just literally put up my screen, but let me back that down for a second. The next little bit, and it's not only a little bit, the next stretch into next week's Torah portion also is going to talk about Sarat. What is Sarat? Sarat is, well, typically translated as leprosy, but it's not leprosy. It's a spiritual malady that afflicted the skin that may have, may have shared some similarities with leprosy, but was a spiritual malady. Now, why would a person be afflicted with Sarat? So the classic... Um, cause, classic root of this was the idea of Lashon Hara, speaking ill of someone else. Speaking negatively about someone else would be one of the indiscretions that could trigger a spiritual, a spiritual response of Tzarat. It wasn't the only one. There's a whole list, of, our sages in the Medrash and Talmud discuss a whole list of things that could lead to Tzarat, but the classic ones, the classic cause is speaking ill, speaking negatively of someone else. In fact, we see in the Torah this on multiple occasions. When Moses 
was speaking with God, was negotiating with God at the burning bush for seven days. At some point, God says, put your hand in your cloak and pull it out. And it turned white. And Moses like freaks out and then he says, okay, put it back in. And then it was normal. That was in response to Moses saying, don't send me. There's no point. The people are not going to believe in this anyway. The people are not going to believe in redemption. Not going to believe in, 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 in exodus and liberation. And so God says, now you're speaking ill about a whole people, that they're non-believers? Surat for you. And then when Miriam, um, when Miriam speaks negatively about her brother much later on, right? She's, she's like, says, oh, I heard. You know, she speaks to her brother Aaron about Moses. So also she gets afflicted with Surat. And um, that's another example. But we see biblically that, that people get Surat when they speak negatively about someone else. So that's why that's the most prominent um, and most, most oft-discussed cause of Surat. We don't get Surat nowadays. We don't get Surat. The understanding is like this. It's beautiful. Uh, beautiful. It's like, it's also a wake-up call for us. But a, a very profound insight has it that it's when there's a sensitivity that the impurity rises to the surface. I'm going to say that maybe clear. If, um, let's say you have a very healthy diet and then you eat a slice of pizza, like that's going to like, it's going to mess, it's going to mess things up because there's, it's so clean, the, the body is so clean and pure that one little thing, you know, renders it, it, it it's, it's visible that, that you ate something wrong. As opposed to if we're, you know, and again, it's not a judgment, I'm just saying, but like if we're not so careful what we eat, then it's just one more thing. So back in the day, people were so pure that the moment they spoke negatively about someone, like it affected their skin. They broke out. It, it shows a sensitivity. Today, unfortunately, it's just something normal that we speak about people. Um, you guys saw what happened last night with, um, I'm kidding, right? When we speak about people and, uh, and that's, it, it almost becomes the norm so that it's not just skin deep, that Sarat, Sarat is real. It's inside, not only on the outside. So, it was, so what about so what about other things that are going on today, like over in the Ukraine and all of the information we receive and individuals that are responsible, or what happened in Germany ninety years ago? Yeah. So when it comes to Lush and Hara, so it's not it's not a prohibition to speak about something that needs to be spoken about in the sense that it's a danger and people need to be warned about it or need, something needs to be done, um, or even for that matter, public information. I mean, you know, something that's that's literally public information, like what happened last night, would not be would not fall under the category of Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara is really about something that is not public information, that one is divulging to someone else, um, that's negative and it's hurtful and whatever it is, and even if it's true, that that idea is is the um is is where it gets it gets into that category the chavitz chaim who was a great scholar of the last in the 1800s he writes extensively on this topic he was big into this idea of um watch what you speak so to th- so, so to speak and um he he really gets into like the the ins and outs like what is over the line what's not over the line um but a lot of conversations that we have I mean, present company excluded. A lot of conversations that people have could at least be borderline 
Lashon Hara. We have to be careful. All right. What, but, makes, what makes what made the biblical time the people purer there? Then? Well, I think this is a bit of a, you know this is something that we find in general in Jewish thought that back in the day they people were spiritually on a higher level. The further we get from those great experiences of you know Sinai and you know the great tzaddikim of the patriarchs and Moses and the further we go the more the we become a little bit more spiritually corrupt um that's but i mean it's not it's not a it's not a it's not it's not a terribly inspiring um way of looking at things but that's that's one way of looking at history it kind of makes sense in the fact that we are looking to to the Torah from that time to right. inspire us. Yeah, yeah, and we don't have prophets today. You know, like there's a lot of stuff that we don't. A lot of spiritual. We don't have a temple and miracles and that sort of thing. It's a lot of stuff that they had back in the day. They were in a bit of a higher level. And but they also uh, had a lot of bad attributes. Well, here's the thing. What's interesting <laughs> is that I, we. I think we spoke about this last week. Also, is that sometimes the bad that we see or that Torah highlights All for right. us wouldn't even make a blog, right? right? It's the, um, who was it? The we Kutz, don't understand the, all the levels. The Kutzker yeah. said, I think the Kutzker said, um, the, the Kutzker Rebbe once said, very sharp, I think it was him, from the sins of the, of the, 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 those who left Egypt, God made a Torah. From our mitzvahs, no one's writing anything. You see, you see what I'm saying? Like their sins are on such a higher level than even our... Again, I understand that that sounds weird or counterintuitive or whatever it is, but, you know, Moses hit the rock and he sinned and he got banned from Israel. I've given this example before. It's like a scratch on a diamond. A scratch on a diamond, you notice the scratch, right? A scratch on a piece of coal, just, a piece of, just another piece of coal. Just another, another coal with a crack or an imperfection. You go to a, to a jewelry store and you pick up a ring, yeah, or earrings or whatever it is. Jewelry, right? Right? Donna, come on, right? Jewelry. And, and the stone is cracked. You'll be like, forget about it. When you come home with the, the brickets of the barbecue, the coal, and you pour it into your Weber, yeah, and there's one of the coals that's split in half. You don't put it all back in the bag and take it back to Publix. Be like, I got a cracked uh, piece of coal. What is this? You're like, it's fine. It's just coal. It, it's fine. It's just coal. But a cracked diamond? That puppy's going back. I don't know, puppy, whatever. That, that piece of jewelry? You're, I mean, you're not buying it. You can't sell it. It's like, it's because it's a diamond. There are diamonds. Everything is like a flaw. Every little thing could be, you know, every little slight imperfection, slight imperfection, you notice. Us, we're not on that level. So it's the same thing. You know, it's actually a perfect example. You know, any slight talk that they did, it hit the skin. It's like they broke out in hives. They broke out in a rash, spiritually. Did they, did they know that's why they were breaking yeah. out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moses told them. That's why the Torah discusses cases where people are going to try to hide it. It says, first it would hit the skin. If someone tried to cover it up with clothing, then it hit the clothing. If someone tried to cover up with something else, then it hit the house. At some point, right? At some point, you got to own up and face the music and, and do the change. All right, let's do a little bit. I know we're at the time, uh, but let's do a few verses just so we finish reading one, even though we're switching gears to Tzarat, but it's, I think it's good. Let's do it. Let's do it inside, and then we'll close it out. 
Okay, so the, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, new topic. If a man has a, se- oh, well, great. Thank you for translating. If a man has a se'it, a sapachat, or a baharet on the skin of his flesh, three different types of this, the physical appearance, right? Um, and it forms a lesion of tzarat on the skin of his flesh. So he shall be brought to Aaron the Kohen or to one of his sons, the Kohanim. So step one is not a dermatologist. Step Because that's not going to help. There's no cream for that. It's not, that's not the issue. Yes, there are things that you need a good doctor and a dermatologist. Here you need a Kohen. This is not a physical thing. You need a Kohen. You know, a Kohen is marked by love. That's the, mar- the hallmark of a Kohen is love. So you need a Kohen to speak to someone who's been speaking bad about someone else to kind of give them a little love. You take them to a love doctor. Be like, hey, bro, you got to love people. Stop, uh, stop the gossip. Stop lushing about people, right? Get the love going. The Kohen shall look at the lesion on the skin of his, fl- on the skin of his flesh, examines it, and if hair in the lesion has turned white and the appearance of the lesion is deeper than the skin of his flesh, it is a lesion of Tzarat. When the Kohen sees this, he shall pronounce him unclean, impure. But if it is a white Baharat on the skin of his flesh and its appearance is not deeper than the skin and its hair has not turned white, the coin shall quarantine the person with the lesion for seven days. And on the seventh day, the coin shall see him again. And behold, the lesion has remained the same in its appearance. The lesion has not spread on the skin. So the coin shall quarantine him for seven days a second time. And now we have a cliffhanger. Great. Now what? What do we do after two sets of, 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 of undecis- indecisive uh, of ser- potential surat? We'll get to that tomorrow. But the main thing that I wanted to do is Number one, get into the conversation a little bit, but also number two, um, uh, start the conversation about the Kohen, the role of the Kohen. Again, we're not talking about something physical. You don't need to go to see a doctor for this. I mean, what's going to happen? The doctor can't cure it. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. So you got to go to a spiritual doctor and you go to a Kohen because a Kohen is, is somebody who is obsessed with love and loving the other. A Kohen, by the way, a Kohen cannot bless the people if he has any animosity in his heart. That's something that I know for a fact my grandfather took seriously. My grandfather never had a bad word to say about anybody. He was the Gabe of the Shul. That means he gave out the aliyahs. He was like the one who decided who got what and who, who led the services. And, you know, that's a very, um, that could be a very uh, dramatic posi- dr- job in a synagogue. And when I say dramatic, I mean like high school drama. Like, oh, you didn't call me up to the Torah and you gave that person instead of me. And, and he was the ultimate peacemaker. He was in that position, and he, did, he was the ultimate peacemaker. And, I mean, the stories to no end about him, like, and I, I, behind closed doors, always respectful, always with love, and he took it seriously as a mandate, as being a Kohen. He was a Kohen. As a mandate, as a Kohen, he took this seriously. He would get up there to Duchen on the holidays to bless the people. You know, we, we do the blessing with the talus, with the hand and everything, with the priestly blessing. He took it seriously. You have, you, if you have any animosity, you can't be up there to, to if, even to one person in the synagogue. You can't bless the people. It has to be with pure love. So this guy who's gossiping, oh, you heard about this, you heard about that, you heard about the other, go speak to a Kohen. That, that's who you need advice from. Not, not a doctor for right now. You need to speak to a Kohen to understand what it means to really love someone else and care about them and not speak negatively about someone else. That's not nice. 
simply not nice to speak not nice about somebody else. It means that we don't care. It means that we're cold and callous, and that's not a good thing. All right, tomorrow we are going to pick this conversation back up. Oh, you see, I have here the Gutnik edition, and here, the, the one that we use in Shoal, and here we have some translations. Um, a white blotch, a creamy blotch, a bright spot. Good. Tomorrow we get into the nitty-gritty of Tzorat and see what happens when it is Tzorat, for sure. What happens when it's mm, on the fence, right? What do we do then? Tomorrow we continue this narrative to identify it. But just know this, this impurity is also a displacement of life because speaking ill of someone, right, embarrasses them, can hurt them. It's dissing ourselves from another human being. There is a displacement of life here, which is why the person is rendered unclean and impure. Same idea. Every time we see impurity, it means something, something is happening in that little seismometer, mographer, monitor, is it whatever. The object of the gossip impure? No, it doesn't. Although, no. although it says the Talmud says that Lashon Hara kills three people. I mean, right. it's using like you know a little bit of. Uh, it says kills three people: the one who says it, the one who heard it, and the one who it's about. But no, the one who it's about does not get Sarat back in the day. Only the one who spoke it. The one who it's about should get some kind of extra... Yeah, you offer. would think extra blessing or whatever it is, but it yeah. hurts. It hurts. It can, That's I mean, what some, I'm saying. A person's reputation could get destroyed right. through Lashon Hara. That's what I'm saying. A person's reputation could get destroyed. Emotionally. Emotionally. It says their face turns white out of embarrassment. It's like you killed them. Or it turns red out of embarrassment. You know... Whatever it's it's really not a good thing. So the under, as we'll as we'll go through this week. Listen, we have a few days to talk about this. Um, we're gonna we're gonna always keep in mind that this is not just a physical thing. It's not a physical thing. It's manifesting as a physical thing, but it's a spiritual thing. By the way, even in healthcare today, we know that physical stuff uh, oftentimes is a manifestation of what's going on. Right? Str my back is hurting. All right. What stresses are going on? I mean, it's, it's not like, okay, oh, did you lift heavy weights? That's one possibility. Or what's going on oh, in your that life? That was our topic of Thursday night. night. <laughs> Thursday night. She said that. And I didn't even read that book. But the, uh, what was it called? The Body Remembers or something? Body as a Memory or whatever. Whatever that book was called. Or Body. Whatever. I don't remember it. But the point is that the uh, or body keeps the score. Something like that. But... You know, we know today, even in, in literal medicine, that a lot of stuff can come from psychological, emotional stuff. And so here, this is a spiritual cause for very physical manifestation. Obviously, the solution is not Neutrogena or, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Whatever, uh, that's for dry skin, you know. But the solution for this is going to be schmoozing with a Kohen, and a little time out, as we'll see tomorrow. Because uh, nothing... This is one of my favorite discussions. About it's, a, it's, a, it's a good discussion. It's a good... All right, to be continued tomorrow. We'll let everybody go. All right, great to see everyone. Oh, a quick announcement. Tonight, there is the parent, second part of uh, the parenting masterclass led by the Schustermans, Rabbi, Rabbi Andina. And then tomorrow, DBP. Tomorrow night, you be the judge. We have a great class tomorrow night. And... Um, Otherwise, the, the show rolls on. Well, we put up a few new things on the website. Check it out. We put up a Passover boot camp. We also put up Jewish Wisdom to Heal the Earth. A very special session on Judaism and 
the environment. So join us for all those. Check them out. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. See you soon. Take care, everybody. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Rabbi. Pleasure. Bye, guys. See you.